This is CliffCentral.com. Grant, I need to make a critical business decision. We've been expanding rapidly, and my gut feel tells me that we should be investing for growth. But I need to put some financial science behind that gut feel of mine. Don't you have a financial manager or director that can help you with that? But isn't that rather expensive? It doesn't have to be. Why don't you contact the finance team? They're a consultancy that can provide you with a part-time financial manager or director at a fraction of the cost of a full-time resource. Go to thefinancesteam.co.za. Welcome to our Business Masterclass. I'm Richard Angus, CEO of the Finance Team, your part-time financial executive solution. Joining me in studio as part of our panel is Safia Boulay of New Habits, Making Shift Happen. Looking forward to this interview, uh, Richard. Along with Liandi Streta, a business coach and guide from Racecorp. Thank you, Richard. Last week, we spoke to global shaper Musidi Mudisi, founder and curator of the Global Shapers Stellenbosch Hub about her recent trip, trip to Shanghai and some of the lessons learned in, uh, in that excursion. Today, though, we're going to be dealing with an interesting subject. It's something that I've actually posed as a question more than a, a topic. Innovation, a critical asset in your business to help you scale and grow, or is it just a fad? Joining us in studio today, Greg Sarandos. Welcome, Greg. It's good to be here. Greg spent the last two years in Silicon Valley working with startups on messaging and go-to-market strategies. He's now back in South Africa working with local technology and disruptive companies on their marketing strategy. So, again, looking forward to hearing from you. And then Wendy Mahoney is with us on the line. Wendy, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Wendy is an innovation specialist, strategy consultant, an author, board member, a speaker, an entrepreneur. Wendy, sounds like you've got a, quite a full bag there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, it's a, it's, it's a hazard. It's a work hazard. <laughs> Great. So, you know, when we when I posed this question, you know, I thought to myself, you know, just as in days of old, you used to say, I have assets in my business, I have buildings and plant and machinery, I have my people, and we used to call these the resources to make our business operate. Is innovation now joining the let's we call it the, the, the collection of resources that a business should be thinking about um, in, in terms of the resources that it should be using to go to the mar- go to market and actually grow and scale the, the business. So that's what we're going to be chatting about today. Um, perhaps maybe the first place to start is, so what's actually involved in getting a good go-to-market strategy for disruptive uh, high tech startups and high growth sort of businesses. Greg, give us some insights here. You've got you've got some great experience in the space. I think um, um, go-to-market strategy starts with one of three objectives. One is to uh, generate leads. The second is to engage in the mar- with the market audience. And the third is to help close deals. Um, so things you can do to generate leads include social media marketing, um, email marketing, attending and, and um, participating in industry events, um, <clears throat> and one or two other things. Once the lead comes in, the customer potential customer comes into your funnel, um, you have between 10 seconds and 27 months, depending on the context of your business, um, to actually move them into the sales cycle and grab their attention. That's where messaging comes in, in, into play. So the kind of things you do um, to engage with a banking customer, which could take 27 months to close, is marketing education, thought leadership, maybe some public relations and um, providing expertise to the market. Um, And then you get into closing deals. 
uh, kind of things that a company can do to close deals include uh, case studies or use cases, product brochures, um, some um, some uh, close, closing mechanisms on your website, sales decks, and product information. But getting that balance between lead generation, audience engagement, and um, and closing deals is quite tricky um, because if you bring in too many fu- leads into the funnel but you don't have the, me- the, the infrastructure to close the deals or to deliver the mm. service, then you, you end up getting yourself into a little bit of a, a quandrum. And that's why the balance mm. is so important. Mm. Now, where does innovation feature in yeah, across this, these three elements that you're talking. Well, in, in the Silicon Valley context, um, innovation means just disruption <clears throat> and originality. Um, and everybody thinks, um, everybody in you know, San Francisco and Silicon Valley believes that they're being innovative and they believe they're being dis- in, um, disruptive. In reality, 87% of Silicon Valley firms fail um, and 13% uh, percent succeed. So everybody wants to be the next Uber, the next Airbnb, the next you know, Apple going back a, a couple of generations. Yeah, I, I guess you only hear this about the 13% yeah. success ones, mm. and there's just so many of them. It sounds like everybody's a mm. success. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, for me, you know, I mean, as you talk about those different elements, the three different elements, the one thing that strikes me is, you know, an innovative solution to how you manage Parts of that, let's call it the funnel and, mm-hmm. and how it moves, uh, is quite critical. And, the, and then there's also the, the part of me that goes, okay, so somebody else may have innovated. I mean, I, re- I recently uh, discovered uh, good old pipe drive in, in my own business. <laughs> yeah, I noticed you're a big fan of pipe drive yes. as well when I looked on your profiles. Um, uh, just by the way, so, so there's the, you know, years ago, if you wanted to interview somebody on radio, you'd have to ask them to send you the, their profile. Now I just go to LinkedIn and look at your profile. Mm. I don't even have to ask you permission. Right. I just go and have a look. Right. Um, but I, as I was in, engaging with PipeDrive uh, around uh, CRM and lead solution uh, for our business, the one thing that struck me is somebody else innovated, and I just effectively now, from a commoditized perspective, use PipeDrive, and it's now a product. Right. And for me now, I just I make my payment every month, and I'm able to use somebody else's innovation inside my own business. So, you know, in my world, I kind of sat back and went, hmm, okay, so am I innovative in, in my use of, you know, let's call it technology around how my business operates? And if I go back to how my business was, say, two years ago, three years ago, where I didn't use this piece of technology, you can say, hey, I used, you know, I went looking for a solution, you know, I was innovating internally in my own world going, okay, I need better processes and systems and all the, right, all the likes. But I didn't have to be innovative. I just had to know how to find an opportunity. And, in fact, I didn't find the opportunity. My business partner, Grant, happened to do look at an article with a review of various packages and went, hey, let's try this. I had looked at something else, and he – Looked at PipeDrive and said, "Hey, let's look at this. I like the, you know, this and that. And these were the various things. And I, I looked at it and went, it's a nice innovative solution. Dresses my needs. So I've now got, let's call it the innovation that's happened somewhere else. And I've basically bought it and put it into my company. And I basically pay for it on a charge on a credit card. Moving on. Um, so for me, that that almost, it's called the world of innovation and almost." Adoption of innovation it can you can now actually split it into you know into chunks. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have to create it; I can just use it. 
using somebody else's innovative approach. And I, I can tell you now, there are many people out there who are still managing their lead flow on Excel spreadsheets and pieces of paper. <laughs> so as, an, as a business owner, I guess I am giving, using an innovative solution. Am I being innovative? No, I'm just using the resources that are available to me. Um, how does how do you, how do you almost like let's call it lead that innovation space, or do you need to lead that innovation space, or do you just have to be a really good implementer of everybody else's great ideas? I guess is the question. Right. The, the easy the easy answer is um, being a great implementer of other people's ideas is a better way to make money and create a <laughs> successful business. Um, if you're a first to market, if you ask the question, I, I look at a lot of business plans. For, as, and from an investment point of view all the time, they say we don't have competitors. I say, oh, dear. And mm. then I, I run, run out of there as quickly as I can. Mm. Um, so the first in the market in virtually every industry is a failed business. Mm. And even Apple, you know, Apple took, um, sorry, borrowed um, uh, the technology from the park, um, from, the, from Xerox's development lab. Xerox didn't have the uh, implementation capability, the creativity, the vision to implement their own tech. Yeah. I mean, you just find a lot of the technologies, touchscreens, <clears throat> GPS, um, the whole cell, virtually all the wireless telecommunications um, was invented not by companies, but by the United States government. <laughs> and, that's, yeah. that's, and, and, and we all know why that was invented. Eh? <laughs> yes, yes. You can see the same as with security software coming out of Israel. Yeah, it's the yeah. same principle. The same principle. Now, Wendy, I mean, what is your experience around you know, let's call it first to market or creator versus uh, let's call it fast implementer or, or user from an innovation perspective. What are you seeing out there? Well, what I'm seeing largely is that there's a large degree of misunderstanding as to what innovation actually is. And look, language is a most languages are you know the label of the social construct. So it depends on your understanding of the definition. So for me, I, I lecture to surgeries. I lecture at uh, Business Innovation at Vega, which is a um, educational brand of the RIE. And in the innovation theory, disruptive innovation is just one type of innovation. So innovation, you've actually got to go right back down to its core, what actually is innovation. So what you were saying as far as the technology that you are utilizing in your business, you are absolutely 100% um, innovative. And, you know, actually every single one of us is innovative. We're just different types of um, innovators. And in terms of the different types of innovations that you would see in a business, um, there's your breakthrough innovation, which is also dis different to your disruptive innovation. There's incremental. Um, there's outcome-based, which is obviously changing, giving your um, customer another means to utilize your product or service. There's customer engagement. There's brand innovation, service innovation, product process channel organizational structure, business model innovation. So those are just some of the types of innovation. And it's not, you know, um, as Greg was mentioning, a very small amount of innovation actually is completely original. Most of it is um, is utilized that, you know, it's already existing um, and somehow modified or changed or put into different means or, you know. Um, but innovation at its, at its heart actually is its ideas. It's the inspiration for ideas. It's the um, it's the generating of ideas, the converting of ideas, and the commercialization of the ideas. So innovation actually, it's not technology, and that's what people think it is. It's a way of thinking, and it's a way of seeing the world. It's an essence. It's ideas. That's what it's creativity. That's what innovation is. Mm. Now, I guess when when I think about that, and I think of the world of creativity and um, 
you know, just doing things differently. I mean, we all know that's fundamental to, to a business is, you know, being able to address a need in a different way to meet, a, you know, specific markets desire and you can charge people for it. And Hey, there's your, there's your business. You know, I always yeah. say, you know, got to find something that people are willing to pay for. So, you know, that's the fundamental tenant of, of how we run our businesses. But once, Absolutely. once you get into that, or uh, let's call it you, you're in that space of, okay, I think I've got an idea that's, that's going to work. I mean, how do you use or how does one use innovation to, let me call it, scale and grow a business? Because sometimes you have a great idea and a business idea that, that is very simplistic in its, in its approach and thought and people are prepared to pay for it. But you can't really scale it all that well. And then somebody else comes along and goes, hey, here's the scaling idea. And they take your – I mean, I, I always think of that – and I mean, I'm sure many people have seen it and, and understand it, The what happened with McDonald's. I mean, mm-hmm. the guys who created McDonald's, the original mm-hmm. pair that that created the, the concept of, of what McDonald's was about in terms of the burgers and the ch- crisps, uh, chips and everything else, they actually yeah. never created the franchise. And the frame, and the franchise was created. Can't remember the guy's name. Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc. But I mean, uh, you know, you look at this and you go, "So great! They figured out, you know, the, the exact recipe and how to how to make this burger consistently." And all. He saw this and went, "Great! Now let's make fifty of these things, and let's make a hundred of these things, and let's take this global." Um, they had the idea, okay, the simplistic idea that they could turn into a reality. He took what it was there and, and just grew it and scaled it. And, and I'm going, okay, so maybe you don't have innovation as your core starting product, but you're definitely mm. going to need some sort of innovative approach to make it scale and, and to get the growth that you're looking for globally. I mean, yeah. how does one do that practically? Wendy and then – Wendy, your thoughts? Well, the- the um, the movie you mentioned, the founder, is a fantastic movie. So if you have, if anybody hasn't watched it, please go watch it. We actually um, used that movie um, at Vega and we dissected it um, for that exact reason. Okay. It's a so great it's, example so of innovation. Uh, so you're telling us it's set work now. The founder is actually set work. Always <laughs> <laughs> okay. good well, to know. 240. <laughs> <laughs> there will be 240 hours of network, but yes, no, 100%. That's, that's a fantastic example. So it's the starting point. Um, you know, again, high tech is high risk, high reward. And a lot of people think, ah, oh, the way to go is technology. Let me go high risk, high reward. Let me find the next greatest thing. That's the wrong basis to start from. The first basis to start from is what we always um, say is ethnographic research, which is observing human behavior. Mm. So go out there and observe human behavior and find out where the gaps in the market are, where the pains, where can you enable, where can you alleviate, you know, which is why um, innovation is a is a, such a human science because it's based on connection, on empathy. So once you feel the market's pain, you are then able to see where the gaps are. So then what you need to do, your next step is to find out do you have a market is there, and you know, in terms of market, there's either a small number of people who are willing to pay a large amount of money for your product or service, or there's a large number of people who are willing to pay a moderate amount for your product or service. So once you've identified that, then you have a business, and as far as scalability is concerned, you then would look at your business model. Um, so you'd look at the elements of your business model, your resources that you need, etc., um, your channels. Um, and you'd look at that and then determine which partnerships you need, which collaborations um, do you need to seek out 
um, as your starting point before you then devise your business plan and go to market. Because any business um, owner, any investor is going to look at your 100% correct scalability. Um, you don't have a business unless it's sustainable. And to make a business sustainable, you need to have scalability. You know, that's your long-term um, growth range. You know, and a lot of businesses in, you know, South Africa, we have a lot of SMEs. And those SMEs are, unfortunately, they're high risk because they're reliant on normally one individual, the entrepreneur. What happens to that individual when anything happens to them? Because they haven't looked at sustainability and, as you say, scalability. Mm. Okay, so innovation as a let me call it as a an empowerer um, is 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 clearly you know critical from a scaling perspective. Greg, I mean, from your perspective, how do you actually measure whether you're going to be successful with this approach? You know, hey, I'm going to be I'm going to try an innovative solution here, tech solution, whatever it may be, um, a process, whatever it may be. How, how do you know whether this is going to put you in the, what was the percentage, the 80, whatever? The, the 13%. 13. The 13% or the, <laughs> the 87%. How do you know whether this is a, a green light or a big red stop light? Well, the easy answer is, is to refer back to what Wendy said, is uh, high risk, high reward. That's the nature of technology businesses. Okay. Um, the um, if you if you go back to your previous example of uh, customer relationship management systems pre Salesforce.com, which is 15 years old, um, in order to implement a customer CRM system, you would have to buy customer premises equipment. It would cost you millions of dollars. It was very difficult to manage and expensive. Uh, I, I remember being told by the team from Siebel how critical it was that I spend, I don't know, I, I can't even remember how many millions of rands in the bank uh, on buying Siebel so we knew what our customers were doing and had had proper CRM solutions. And this is back in the early 2000s. And, 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 and we, I mean, we were talking checks with like, Lots of zeros, eh? <laughs> lots of zeros. It, it, it took a corporate bank to buy right. the stuff. I right. mean, you, you, it was serious play. Right. And, then, and then later, 14 years ago, Salesforce.com came along. You might remember um, their logo, which was the word software with a circle and a, and a slash through it. So they okay. were the first cloud-based. Mm -hmm. um, now, they knew that was going to succeed. Mark Brennerhoff worked for Oracle. He worked for Larry Ellison. Um, Larry Ellison funded his business, which is mm. a good sign that you're on, onto a good thing. So it mm. becomes very predictable. Mm. Fast forward 15 years, you have um, Salesforce.com, um, which is a very expensive system to, to, to you know, once you start really utilizing it. And then along comes Pipedrive, mm. to, your, to our previous example, which is $12 per user per month. Mm. And it does everything I need, does everything you need for your business. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And that is a very – there are systems. It's scalable, scalable. They offer pretty reasonable service just on using chatbots and, 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 um, and uh, you know, kind of online support. And the system works beautifully. That's a pretty predictable one. But to go back to your original question, the reason venture capital investment is so challenging and mm. unpredictable is because they don't know. In most cases, it's hard to know which mm. advertising technology player is, is going to be the successful one, yeah, and which security company is really going to is really going to resonate with customers and and be adopted by all the big banks. It's a very challenging thing. So, one of the things that I've experienced working with entrepreneurs that are scaling and growing and and trying to create sustainability and um, who may have something that could potentially offer real value to client to customers, um, it might not 
necessarily be the most disruptive idea or, or concept, but they certainly do va- add value, is the challenge between understanding, okay, we have a really great idea, so it's kind of like the operational side, and then going to market. Um, how much do we still need to learn in South Africa about messaging and positioning correctly? And Wendy mentioned the word empathy, understanding mm-hmm. our customers. Because in the past, we used to broadcast, you know, that was sort of the traditional marketing way of doing things. This is who we are. This is what you need to buy. Buy us now. Versus really connecting with the target market and saying, this is the value we offer. Yeah, no matter what business you're in, um, you have 30 seconds to capture the imagination of the customer. And you need to address the emotional center of the brain because people make decisions based on trust and trust comes from empathy as, as Wendy mm-hmm. said. Um, so um, addressing this is the big picture problem we're solving. These are the pain points we're addressing. And not every company is here to change the world, um, but everybody's there to compete and provide a better service. So in 30 seconds, if they can say, these are the pain points um, that we're addressing and this is how we're doing it, um, then you can have a successful messaging in 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And it's critical to get the messaging right because then, you know, right customer, right place, right time, right scenario becomes meaningless if you're not expressing your message properly. Yeah, I think if you, if your value proposition is garbled, yeah. you can only have garbage. Is right. uh, is a good saying. Um, now, I mean. Let's just talk about that and tying that back to the bottom line. I mean, obviously, we can blow, and I've seen people blow <laughs> big money in the innovation space. And you kind of, I, I'm sorry, the accountant in me comes out again, and I'm going, okay, return on investment. Okay, so we're now going to do away with the return on investment conversation. We're going to say return on innovation space. Okay, so how how do I measure how well this thing's actually performing. I mean, when you give me some ideas, I mean, in terms of, you know, I mean, I guess it's not just about top line revenue generation. Uh, how do I measure the value creation from that innovative space? Have you seen anybody do this successfully? And, and when do they me- measure and how do they measure? I, I guess is a question. Well, it depends on what their objective for innovating is, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, again, you go right back down to basics you know, before even your value proposition and what is your what is your intent for innovation? Is it um, customer retention? Well, then you would measure that. Is it bottom line growth? Then you'd measure that, you know. Um, it depends on what you're trying to achieve. And in terms of, again, in terms of technology, technology is just me, it's a facilitator or an enabler of innovation, unless, of course, you are in a pure technology space itself. Um, what's interesting, though, is, you know, if you think about ourselves, now, we all, values is a massive um, area of focus. And in my research into innovation, um, I stumbled across values as a golden thread. And that goes back to, again, you know, a, a business when you start up, what is your vision? What is your mission? Um, and that obviously needs to be communicated through your values, which then is your culture, your company, and that's communicated authentically to all stakeholders. Now, in terms of values, going back to um, profit bottom line, um, because, again, I mean, I'm extremely results orientated. So in terms of value, if you think about all of us, you know, chatting today, we all have different values. And for those values, we will pay any amount of resources, whether that's, I know, you know, in Joburg, cycling is a massive thing, you know, and uh, people spend crazy money in cycling. Mm. For me, I think it's crazy. Mm. But if you're passionate about cycling, you have no problem spending that amount of money. You know, I've got a passion for travel, so I'll hop on a plane at the jump of a hat and go overseas, you know. Um, but then I won't spend, you know, doing a small amount of something else. So going back to a product or service, 
the the focus is on making sure that you have a product or service of value to somebody in the marketplace and you are communicating to their values. Once mm. you do that and you do your authentic, you profit um, automatically as a as a byproduct. That's why, I mean, in terms of my company, our payoff line is transform, innovate, profit. Because once you transform, which is obviously your starting point to understand what innovation is, looking your mind up to you, thinking differently, seeing the world differently, um, you then naturally start to innovate. And then as a byproduct, you will naturally profit because the product or service is of value and it's in the marketplace where people are wanting it. There's a need for it. You've already reviewed whether there's scalability, whether there's a large number or small number of people, etc. Um, then revenue will come as a byproduct. That's what that's what I've seen. But as far as innovation, again, it depends on what you're measuring. You know, you could innovate um, to enable enhanced communication internally within your organization. So you might measure, you know, staff engagement. Mm-hmm. Now, Winnie, I just want you to repeat those, uh, those words of your byline. So transform, innovate. Innovate. And profit. And profit. So that's a really, that's a really nice tagline. I really, really enjoy that. I, I, I like the simplicity. And, uh, yeah, so that's a great tagline. And that's, thank you. And it's come from, from a lot of research into, um, you know, especially for my, uh, for, for my, my research content, um, researching companies that have innovated successfully and companies that have, that have not innovated successfully and trying to understand why. What is the difference between those two companies? Because at face value, they may be doing everything. You know, I mean, there's a lot of theory behind innovation, you know, structures for innovation as far as, um, you know, human capital structures, actual, um, you know, bricks and mortar structures, open spaces, collaborations, etc. cetera. Um, there's, there's a lot that a company can do and they go, okay, great. We've done everything to innovate, but we're not innovating mm-hmm. successfully. And mm-hmm. what I then identified is that the difference is values. It's, is there, is there a, a strong vision and mission? Are there strong values? Are they, is there alignment? Um, is it being communicated authentically to all stakeholders? Um, and are they being, and obviously one of those stakeholders is your customer. And are they speaking to the customer's values? Because then money is no issue. And I mean, we again, we know this because we will spend money on what we, on what we value. We just won't spend money on what we, what we don't value. You know? Mm-hmm. So people are actually, and it's, it's a growing trend where especially with the millennials, they're very purpose driven and people are wanting more meaning. Um, so it's a growing trend where money is less of an issue, where it's actually more the focus on, on what this brand represents, on what this, whether this speaks to, you know, my values, you know, yes, yes or no. Mm. I think that's just so key in terms of that innovative space because often we, we, we almost look at innovation almost in isolation to the rest of our business and the, and particularly the values in, in that space. Wendy. Yeah. And that's, yeah, sorry. No, keep going. No, I was just referring back again to the payoff line. That's all. But what we realize is that a, a company, before they can truly innovate, they need to take one step back and transform first. They need to transform their minds and understand their dogmas and their belief systems and their meta programs and their models of the world, etc. And understand that um, you know they need to they need to see things differently. Wendy, mm. some really thought provoking thoughts there. Um, as we wrap up the show for the first part, and we uh, we are going to have you staying on with us for part two of the show, so <laughs> we're not losing you just yet. <laughs> just for part one, I guess the one thing that I'd, I'd one perhaps you you to answer for us is just 
what is the one thing that as as an entrepreneur as you're scaling your business what is the one core thing that that stands out for you as a critical thing that you've got to get right in the innovation space or you're going to end up as one of those awful statistics in your business what would that thing be from my perspective it's um it's you know, we, we rush to market too quickly. And look, I'm, you know, I'm just as guilty. You know, we get a great idea and we run to market. We, we need to do stop and do research. Understand is there your fantastic product or service that you think is wonderful? Is there a market? Do your research. Understand your market first. Because once you understand whether there's a need in the marketplace and whether that need is again, small number who are going to pay a lot of money for your product or service or large number who are going to pay a moderate amount, and there's no point being a business. Mm-hmm. But we spend so much, we get so passionate and we spend so much time and money and resources developing great products and resources and um, services, sorry, and we take them out to market mm-hmm. and then we sit and wait for them to be purchased and they're not purchased. Why? Because we didn't do our research in the first place. We didn't establish whether there was a need and what the need was and what volume and scalability, etc. So my first advice would be stop research. Yeah, great. Wendy, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on the show. Greg, thank you for your time. Uh, Next up is our practical business conversation. Stay with us. This is cliffcentral.com.